Thank you. I forgot to mention, if you could all come up and grab these little plates, or we could pass them out somehow, or just throw them and hope that it makes it. <laughs> if we could get a couple people to help, we get everybody a... If, if anybody is gluten sensitive, there is gluten on the plate, so... Uh, he, <laughs> can only get worse. That's that's the positive aspect. <laughs> oh, and the cups too. One one cup each. Take take two cups. One one white cup. Uh, one water and one uh, grape juice. I'll just bring a few cups over, take like four. I can take eight. You can take eight? He's not good. Joe, that's, yeah. that's, pretty, that's pretty spectacular. Okay. And then, so here's water. Who needs, well, actually, I can't grab them. I can't. Okay. I can't say. That didn't work out as easy as I thought. Okay. There you go. So grab a white, and then a, and then one cup of wine too. I mean grape juice. Sorry. Okay. And yeah. So everybody has some? Very good. So last week we ended with Shalom, if you all remember. And so I'll start off this week with Shalom, hopefully recalling the, the thought that we had on the word Shalom, which means hello and goodbye. So most of you were here last week? Hands? Yeah, okay. So, very good. And the word boring up there wasn't referring to the present lecture. That was, I hope, that was because Pastor Jason thought that baseball was very stimulating and I wrote boring. So, is Sarah here? There you are. All right. I have to redeem myself again for Sarah. Sarah, you are beautiful. You can go back and apparently listen to the last tape where I stuck my foot in my mouth. Sarah is beautiful, even though her name doesn't mean beautiful princess. Don't, for the food... This glorious meal that you're about to partake in, hold off, for the moment anyways. Last week we started off with a joke that apparently nobody was willing to receive. Remember the, what do you call a porta potty that a pig uses, the pork a potty? <laughs> Thank you. So here's another joke, it's my fav- one of my favorites. What's round, white, fluffy, and barks? All four. Round, white, fluffy, and barks. Popcorn. <laughs> Audience laughed just for the record. So thanks again for last week. It was a pleasure, a delight and an honor. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate your presence. And it's always wonderful 
coming to other communities. I hope we have future engagements where we can enrich each other through our presence and our insights. And as Pastor Jason said, today we're going to discuss Passover specifically, although just like last week when we began to discuss the Jewish holidays, and this year, this week I have an eraser, right? Last week we didn't. We started theoretically with the Jewish holidays and then went in sort of a roundabout way and finally got somewhere near the idea of Jewish holidays, and that's classic Judaism. Start here, you want to end up here, and you go this way and this way and that way. And eventually, along the way, you learn that all of those longer diversions were part of the overall journey that helps us understand where we end up. So we're not going to follow a straight line today either. And we're not going to do a real Seder by any means. I've left out a lot. I had to think what to include that would be accessible in this short amount of time. Because what I try to do, as I said last week, is not discuss the specifics of the history. Because people have different historical perspectives on Scripture. The Bible itself presents it as history. But in the Jewish tradition, it's not only history. There's also a broader context that applies to each one of us. So we went through names as insights for us. The names of individuals, the names of places. The names, as we said last week, were not simply just what a place is called or what a person is called, especially when there's a story behind that name. And as we will see with Passover, there are many names. I don't know about you, but do you have many names? Most of us have one main name and a few nicknames maybe. But names are not just what we're called, but they're an insight into what we're called to be. And that's true of all of the biblical characters. Whether there is a story or not, it's just more apparent when there's a story behind the name. So all of Jacob's children have names And there's a story behind the name, even Adam, as we went through. What I hope to do today is to give you an understanding of the Passover, not in an academic theological sense. I'm not here to deconstruct our two different narratives. How did the historic Jewish Passover that dealt with redemption from slavery. How did that develop into redemption or salvation from sin through the atoning death of Jesus, if you have faith in Him? That's another discussion. And I can go academic very easily. It's hard for me to work into this. I have to work myself into the spiritual. I start off academic And then I go down to the heart. I can't, it's my own fault, but I can't just start here with the overflowing spirit. So I go heady. And my my avenue to the soul is often grammar. I know that puts most people to sleep. But grammar is how I get my soul's appetite chomping at the bit. So we'll do some of that tonight, or today. I slept about an hour last night, so I'm mixing up the times. So I want to just say one thing. First of all, this cheese stick has nothing to do with the Passover. And I can't sell it to you because it says not for individual sale. Otherwise I would. But last week we spoke on Hebrew, and if you have any background in Hebrew, and we have Pastor... Professor Jason here, who does have a strong background, he's going to be shaking his head a lot, (laughs) saying, no, no, what? So I just want to clarify something. Last week we did 
some Hebrew, and I hope it wasn't too much. Was it too much? Just no. Okay. No, because sometimes I try to determine how much, and I think this is a good baseline. And apparently, I'm like at the top of the Empire State Building.、I、should have stayed a few floors down, or on the ground floor. So if I'm going too fast, or if I don't make something clear that is clear to me, please throw something at Jason. When we were discussing words, I would often say this word also means this and this and this. If you ask a modern Israeli or somebody who knows Hebrew from seminary, so I said the word we were talking about the Sabbath, right? Oops. Oh yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> That's my phone quacking. I got to turn it off. By the way, just to announce again, I got an iPhone. Two weeks to the day, and you just heard my ring, quack, quack, quack. So this word Sabbath, we understand in Genesis chapter one, it talks about God resting or stopping or ceasing. But then I gave you other words that it was related to. I guarantee you, if I asked anybody. Who knows Hebrew, and they can read this, Safad and Shabbat are those the same word? You can just hear Safad and Shabbos, right? Not the same. Doesn't matter if you know what they mean or not. These are not the same. Yet I said there is an etymological connection between that and a few other words, but they are clearly distinct words. How can I be speaking that there is some connection? Not in meaning, but in their roots. This is a t, this is a sh, this is a p, this is a v, this is a d, this is a t. They're different letters. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it in English. S H B T, and then T S F or P, whatever. Depending if there's a dot in it, and a D. You can just see that these are distinct. Letters, so they're not the same word. And here I am, waxing on poetically about the inherent relationship, the etymological connection that is inherent in these words. And we're going to do more of that today. So either today you want to leave now because last week was too much, or praise the Lord, Hallelujah! Right? Come on, Pentecostals, don't make me the only Pentecostal in here. All right, all right. And funny, that might ruin my、uh, chances of ordination. What a gee whiz! <laughs> yeah, I'm a Pentecostal Jew. Oh boy! All right. In the best of the spirit, if you know what I mean. But I won't be slain in the spirit. Anyway, today. So, all right. I'm going to dig myself out of this hole quick. What I want to just, in case anybody is going to tell you the guy's an idiot, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I am an idiot, but I do know what I'm talking about in this context. This is not what they teach you in modern Hebrew. This is not what they teach you in seminary. They teach you other wonderful things in both of those categories. We have in Hebrew something called phonetic cognates. That's not Hebrew, but that's what we call it in English. And we also have something called gradational variants. So phonetically, these words don't look like they're related at all. And I won't even go into the gradational variants just because of time. Which last week I couldn't figure out how to do it, but now I want to show off my iPhone specialty.、Uh, if I can get it on, I've got no. Did it again. I have got the clock before you. Applause! Applause! So when I say they are etymologically related, I don't mean they're the same root. Technically, I mean that phonetically, there is a connection between them, and therefore there is a theology. Remember, I said phonetic theology. They are related because certain letters are interchangeable. It's a complex system of interchangeable letters, and the reason they're interchangeable. Again, I'm not saying to do this in English. I'm saying in Hebrew. This is how the rabbis understand it, and this is how we've done it for. You know, a few years. 
And that the German academics, you know, in the 1800s who study Hebrew don't get it, fine. I'm not worried about that. I am telling you that this letter, what letter is, do you read, do you read cursive or no? Okay, so here. There you go, because my, my printing is, is about as good as your Chinese. So, but it's a this, and this is a, let's see. It's not, never mind, I don't know how to make it. Only, you only print if you're like this big. Everybody else handwrites. So this is a t, T-S, and this is a sh. Well, you got it right here. How can I say these are related? Because the simple idea, and then we'll move on, because this is not a lecture in Hebrew grammar or phonology. Letters are interchangeable in a specific, with a specific system behind it. It's not just, I'm going to pull this one out and this one out and this one out and connect them. There's a logic behind it. One of the areas that determines their connection, the inherent connection, is their position or location of pronunciation. If it's guttural, if it's labial, if it's dental, you pick your other regions. So, a sh and a tsu. Well, it's a, they both got that S sound. The B, B, they're labials, okay? So this is what I mean when I explain that they are etymologically related because the letters are interchangeable. Now you can say, fine, that's homiletics. Well, we don't look at it as homiletics or drush, as we say in Hebrew. We look at this as, this is our language. And this is how we glean insights, deeper insights from the text. So remember last week we spoke on a Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2. Right? Everybody remember? The voice of my beloved knocks. Something along those lines, the translation. And we said, yes, historically or contextually, it's referring to two lovers. And the voice of his beloved is knocking. Metaphorically or allegorically, we can understand that as either that voice is not my beloved mate, but my beloved soul, knocking. Or it's the divine, the Holy One, God, knocking, calling me, right? And I wanted to do much more last week, but I knew I had this week to, to do more. We said last week the idea of knocking, that called doidi daifek. This word means to knock. And we said that the idea behind this is that the sacred, the, the call of the soul, the call of the divine, is like knocking. It's an invitation. So the sacred, for all of us who are on a sacred path, it's something that should be inviting us in, to commune with, to dialogue with, to connect with. But then we said it also, now this is not part of what we just did with gradational variance or phonetic cognates. This is just the other brilliant insight that Hebrew, according to the rabbis, has, unlike English. So last week I mentioned bark and bark, right? Two words have no connection, the dog, sound, and the tree. This word in Hebrew means this, but it has another meaning. However, in Hebrew, when one word has two or three or four meanings that are completely distinct, and that word is used when another simpler word that only meant knock or whatever else the word is supposed to mean. If it has numerous meanings, the author of the text chose it with this and this and this to give you an insight, an additional insight into this meaning. Remember that? So we said that this means to knock. The voice of my beloved is calling me, inviting me in, knocking. It's gentle. It's not that, that bulldozing force that's just going to barrel you over, usually. 
Occasionally it might happen to some special people. But for most of us, it has to be an invitation for us to respond. We also said it means to pulsate. Like a pulse. So now it's transformed itself from an inviting presence to an inherent presence within us. It's now pulsating like my heart throughout me, beating within, animating my life. But here's where it gets interesting. That's why I didn't want to do too much last week. Because we said it's the voice of my beloved. Probably looks like I'm writing in Hebrew, but that's my bad English. The voice of my beloved knocks. This word for voice means voice. However, functionally in this context, if you look at the punctuation, the trope, the melody marker, it's interesting. In this context, not in every, in this context it's almost functioning as an imperative to stop and listen. So we would say in English, hark, right? Listen, pay attention, take note. Okay? Your beloved is knocking and pulsating within you. So why is it almost like a command to listen? Because the truth is, most of us in our sacred lives, if we're honest, most, fail to hear the voice of our soul. We fail to hear the call of the divine. We fail to encounter that invitation. We fail to experience that pulsating essence that animates us as human beings. So it's a command to listen because your soul is thriving and pulsating and calling you as is God. But there's one other aspect to it. It means voice. It means to hearken or hark. It also is just a simple word for sound. Okay? And something else in a moment. So there's a difference between sound and voice in English. Sound, I could hear thunder. A sound, I could hear tapping on the wall. That's not a voice. Why? One word with two very distinct meanings. And how do you know which it is? The answer is it's both. And a third one that we'll get to in a moment. And this you will see, voice and sound. The insight that this offers us and the wisdom that it offers us in our sacred path in this context, always have to look at context, is we fail to hear, we fail to hark, we fail to listen, we fail to encounter the sacred. Well, what are we hearing then? Why are we failing to hear this voice and heed the call of the soul? Because it sounds... It's just sound. It sounds like sounds, not a voice. Or also noise. Noise. For many of us, whether we follow the sacred or not, especially for those who don't, and they're logical people, they're rational people, they're decent people, many of them, just because they don't happen to have a theology that they're, or a religious basis to their lives, and a religious understanding of life, they are materialists, does not mean, no question on their character. It means they simply, where we hear a voice in our best moments, right? Or we feel that pulsating dimension of life permeating our being. They simply hear a sound or noise. And the truth is, at least my truth, is I hear more noise than I do calling. Unfortunately, I have to work a lot harder. And the harder I work, the more noise I hear. And I think that's just the spiritual life. 
We call that the longer, shorter way. Well, there's a title of a book, the longer, shorter way. Talking about something else, we all want a shortcut, right? The shortcut is the long way. The longer way is ultimately the shorter way. You're never going to go right from here to here. It's always confused and circles and back and forth, and finally you get here. The noise is part of the sacred. We just have to learn how to hear the noise is actually a sound that has a voice behind it. And that voice is our soul inviting us. That voice is our soul animating, pulsating. It's God calling us, even though we may not have spiritual receptors sensitive enough to understand it or hear it very frequently. And that's why I try to begin, like last week, I just realized, sitting when we're doing a public lecture that's going on the podcast, where they can't see all of our beautiful faces meditating, is not the best way to communicate to an audience. It's wonderful for us, and I recommend any time you study that you sit so that you can quiet the noise, because if you don't, you're going to hear the noise of confusion rather than the call or the pulse of your soul. So that's foundational to a sacred walk. And for others, our goal as practitioners of the sacred Sounds so technical. As followers of the sacred. It's to help others hear that beyond the noise or the sound and even beyond the voice is a melody. To help them hear that there's a melody that the soul offers you in life. That's our life. That's the purpose of our lives to enhance our own relationship with the soul and help others uncover and understand and hear that beautiful melody of soulful living. But we first have to hear it. Otherwise, if we don't hear it, it's going to come out like, I can't scratch on a board, but it sounds like that. I've been on many panels with atheists and they hear a very different voice or sound. Okay? So, that's how I work I get spiritual through grammar. There, you just saw it. Okay? That's my... Now I want to say hallelujah and praise the Lord, right? Again, I'm the only one here saying amen. What's going on here? Don't make me into a Pentecostal Jew. I don't want to be the only one. So, let's see what we can do as far as the topic at hand, right? Wouldn't that be nice? The truth is, if we don't start here, it doesn't matter what we do. If we don't start with hearing the soul, it doesn't matter what we do with this Passover Haggadah. Haggadah Shel Pesach. And this is the new revised edition. They didn't like Moses' edition, okay? This is the new revised edition, okay? Because... The one that Moses published in 1949 wasn't good enough. This is a 2007 version, and I got another one. This is the way I'll know anybody in here is Jewish if I say Maxwell House Haggadah. Because everybody knows that one. All right, so you're all Jews. Grafted on, as we said last time, right? What I would like to do is I gave you some symbolic foods, and again, what I said we're not going to do as much as I would love to is analyze how redemption from enslavement became salvation from sin through belief in the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. That's, not, that's wonderful, but I want you to see something different. I haven't figured out what I want you to see yet, but I want you to see something different. And by the way, whenever I get lost in my thought, I'm going to hold up my iPhone, because i got an iPhone, everybody. What I would like to do is help you see the broader context of what we call Pesach. That's the common name for the holiday of Passover. We went over last week that it had a few names. The one we went over was Chag HaMatzot, and that little flat, flat bread that you have right here, the little cracker, again, this one is gluten, they make gluten-free but this is matzah, singular, or matzot. Ot is plural in Hebrew. One way make plural. What's the other way, Jason? Perfect. He said im. Ot and im. 
Masculine usually and feminine and masculine usually. Because avot is masculine, plural, but it's got a feminine ending. Ot. Don't ask me why. So why did we say that that is the, that's the biblical name for this holiday, the festival of matzah? Right? We understand the story fine. They, they had to hurry out of the land. They didn't give it a chance to rise. Lovely. As we said last week, I'm not interested solely in the history because I wasn't there and I don't care if they didn't have time for the matzah to rise. That doesn't in any way give me a leap or a skip in my walk as far as celebrating my tradition or the Passover. What I want you to understand and what we discussed last week was the name, beyond the name, there's a theology. There's a story behind that name. And we said that the matzah, this is the first name in the Bible of this holiday. And it meant festival of the unleavened bread, but we said that's what it meant there. But what does it symbolize? Symbols and rituals are critical in most traditions. It's not a very good S. The symbol of matzah is what gives us an insight into why it is the first, not chronologically, but of foundational or prime importance. The name. The name symbolizes matzah is flat. That represents leaven raises, rises up, causes bread to rise. Leaven represents pride. Matzah represents flat. Humility, in other words. And we said we have to, when we ingest the matzah, as we're going to hopefully get to, if not, you can have it for dessert. When we ingest the matzah, the idea is not simply to eat tons of matzah so that you fill your stomach with humility. That's not what happens. We are ingesting it physically so that theologically we internalize it, its message. And as we said last week, if you ate a whole box of matzah, you would have a stomach out to here. But that doesn't in any way, a distended stomach does not mean a humble heart. So your heart can be distended, whether you eat matzah or not. You have to incorporate the idea behind the symbol and the ritual. And rituals are how Judaism communicates with, communicates the sacred. If you only see it as an act, you will have a very different insight into the Jewish faith. And, and again, this is a brief side note, the, 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 the way that law or ritual or commandment is understood in Judaism uh, by, by, in, by, uh, in the New Testament is very different from how it's understood in Judaism. You can look at the act and see it, as we said last week, as a very empty act or a deadening act. Ritual can deaden the soul. But if you incorporate the living message of the ritual into you, it enlivens your walk with the sacred. So we do have a very ritually based system. But our rituals are how we express our theology. So understand that whatever ritual you see us do, there's a theology behind it. If you don't see the theology, you see an empty act. And it is empty if there's no theology behind it. I want you to see the broader context of some of these rituals so that you can see the relevance in your own lives whether or not you eat this parsley or the horseradish or the matzah or any of the other ritual foods that if you ever come to one of our seders, whether you do it or not, I want you to understand there's a theology that animates this. And it's, a uni- it's part of a universal theology. It's just the particular way that the Jews approach the universal. Other traditions do it this way. But it's not that ours has no meaning or that we're legalistic or that we're hypocrites. We act outwardly just to show how holy we are even though inwardly we have no reverence and holiness and kavana as we say, uh, intention in our heart. So I want you to see because listen, even in the New Testament, in, in Matthew when it speaks of the Passover, it talks about dipping. And leaning. Anybody know why we dip? Doesn't say. Anybody know why you lean? Doesn't say. There's a theology behind leaning. 
There's a theology behind lipping, uh, uh, dipping. There's a theology behind every ritual. And if you take the time to understand the theology, you'll see that's beautiful. And you'll see, and here's how we find this in our tradition. And somebody else will say, oh, I have that same idea. I do it through this means. I just want you to see there is richness in what you're about to do. So this, we finished with Chag HaMatzot as its name last week because, before the questions, because that's the primary name that the Bible gives because of its importance. Without humility, no other sacred practice will grow. The holy cannot sprout roots in a prideful heart. So this is why you have to work and ingest. We, phys- we do physical things. We take a spiritual idea and we make it physical so that we can engage with it in a day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis. So that's why it's called Chag HaMatzot, one reason. But we call it Passover in English. And then we got matzah. Because I'll give you a couple other meanings here. We call it Pesach in Hebrew. That's the common name. The Pesach technically is the lamb. But this is how Jews refer to it. What are you doing for Pesach? What are you doing for the Passover? Not what are you doing with the lamb? So I want to give you a few insights into the names. And then we'll do a little bit from the story that the rabbis over time have created to bring about their insights and theology into the nature of redemption that is broad enough for you to see that this is a universal approach to redemption through the particular language of the Jews. But there's universal relevance just like you can see with the matzah. Whether you eat it or not is not my concern today. I want you to understand the theological importance of the sacred holiday that's in both of our texts that you probably understand very differently and understandably very differently. So matzah, let's just do a few things on matzah like we did with the other words. Matzah, this word is related to, what should I do here? I'm sorry, Pesach. The purpose of Pesach, again, we always find the purpose in the names. The original meaning, one of the main meanings of Passover is simply a Pesach is to pass over. Okay? Remember God passed over the houses? If it had the blood on the door of the lintel? Well, here's a wonderful way to see Judaism and the relevance of these simple words for your sacred walk. The relevance of this word Passover is not... Again, I wasn't in this house. God didn't pass over mine. I don't even know if I would have put blood on the door. Just kidding, I would have. But it didn't happen to me. So where is there any connection in this historic story besides the fact that God acts in history? That's wonderful, but I need God in the present. So this word Passover, Pesach, Pesach, is actually passing over, you're going from one place to another. You are not, you were here, and now you're here. So more broadly, or theologically, or philosophically, we can enhance the overall meaning of not simply God passing over, which was wonderful, but what happens to me when I practice or observe my Passover? Have I passed over from one place to another? In other words, have I transformed? As a result of my practice. And that's a question you can ask yourself. I don't care what holiday it is. I don't care what ritual it is. This is a broadly speaking, this is broadly speaking a practice, the result of any practice that you have in your sacred life. Whether it's this specific Passover 
or broadly speaking, the idea behind it, going from one place to another. Have you as a result of your, this is Holy Week, this is Palm Sunday. And, okay, you're going to go to church after. And you're going to what? Walk out the same? Or are you going to be in a different place? Are you going to pass over from where you are? Are you going to transform yourself? This is a question you have to ask yourself. That's why it's the first holiday, ultimately. It's still talking about the same holiday. But if you're not transforming or transformed as a result of your practice, what are you doing? Try harder. We're always going to fail. But this is the ultimate goal of the Passover. And that's why it's the first one. Because it's telling you that transformation is necessary for your spiritual life. So why don't we? Why don't we? Look, you have a beautiful holiday or, or week that's coming up. I have a beautiful holiday coming up in day. How come I'm not going to necessarily, I hope I am, be a little better, a little farther along the way? Well, this word is also related to the word for open. And that's a key. That's a key. To open. If we're not open to the sacred, it will never transform us. So the power lies within you and within me. There is holiness surrounding us. There is wisdom surrounding us. There is divine guidance available. But we have to be open to it. Again, you have Pasach and you have... It's, not, it's going to look different. They look, this, this kind of looks the same. This is different and this is different. But phonetically, the s and the t, the h and the h, they are phonetic cognates. So they are interrelated. And it gives you an insight into how. These other nuances give you the how and the why and the way to do it. To actualize the potential. Okay? It's also related to the word for transgress. <laughs> Strangely enough, Passover. And yeah, we usually pass over the opportunity to transform and therefore we transgress. Right? I mean, you can see the theology in there. Okay? It's also related to the word for a wound. Because many of us have been hurt in our lives. And to be open to the sacred is to be vulnerable. And it's a risk that's too great because of our history. And you have to understand that. Not everybody is rebelling against the sacred. Sometimes it's too great a risk. Even though the ultimate reward is endless. But it's, they can't see the end. They don't hear the call or the voice. They hear the noise, which in no way is going to allow you, I wouldn't walk up to someone and go like this, if I know I'm going to get punched in the solar plexus, right? It's too vulnerable. The sacred involves surrender. You have to be open. But if you're wounded, you're going to protect yourself. So there's a huge, huge insight into the terms, as we've seen. I'll just, I'm going to skip the rest. I'm just going to do matzah. Matzah is related to the word. This word, matzah. And it's more in the print, but I print, you won't even be able to read my printing. <laughs> because you can't read printing anyways. But this word, just trust me, this word, matzah, is related to the word for leaven. It is almost the same. In fact, that I can do. <laughs> uh... Whatever, I'm going to, this is the letter that I want you to focus on, even though I'm doing cursive and printing. You see, this is the same, this is the same, and the last letter is almost the same except for this little space right here, right? This is leaven, uh, this is leaven, this is matzah. It's that little gap, that open space, that represents humility, matzah. You are open to the holy. Leaven, right, the leaven has no opening because there is no room for the holy to enter because you have leaven in your hearts. You're full of pride. 
there's no place for the holy to enter or dwell. So what that is saying theologically, the name is brilliant. The food that we eat gives us the way. I have to be humble, open to the holy. It can't have leaven in it. It's almost the same. And these two words, these two letters are in, those are phonetic cognates. That's why there's an inherent connection. And the connection is, this is pride, right? Leaven is pride. And matzah is humility. Even if my writing is horrific. Why are these letters so intimately related? It's just that one little line. Very, very small line. Because what it's telling you is, There's not a very large gap between humility and pride. We can masquerade as humble. My humility is legendary. Okay? (laughs) Amen? There you go. Still haven't gotten an amen out of anybody. (laughs) Even when I ask. Thank you. (laughs) It's not the same. Um, This is a huge, huge caution for our sacred walk. Humility can morph into pride with just that small little line. So focus diligently on your humility as a practice because it will very often be pride manifesting itself as humility. Let's just do a few things. I can't do much more. We're going to go through because of time. We're going to start talking about the Seder meal with this book, okay? There's a lot of stages in it. There are 15 stages that you go through and there's a long story. Most of it is, seems incomprehensible when you read it. You'll understand everything and you won't want to open it again. And it's not just because it's bad English. It's very difficult to access. And this is true of Judaism in general. It's almost like, like a black hole was this former glorious star, right? And it imploded. Who sees the glory of the star? Oh, I see something that sucks in the light. I don't even see it. Not even light. Even though it was formerly radiant. No light can even pass it now. That's what's happened to it. That's often... <laughs> I guess I'm saying this publicly. That's often what it seems like Jewish texts are like. I don't see any light, light there. The light is just being sucked out of it. But I know there's a former radiant star behind it. We have to learn how to see the radiance. It's a different way of approaching the text. So we're not even going to go through a lot of it. I just want to give you a few things about the text, a few of the rituals that we have, and then we will open up for questions and say saonara, adios, and shalom. So this book is called the Haggadah. Okay, that's the book. Passover, Haggadah, even in English. So you can trust me. The word Haggadah comes from the word Nagad. Well, what happened to the H? I heard Haggadah. I didn't hear an N. I heard an H. No N, H. Okay, we'll explain that next time. <laughs> but the root is N-G-D. And it does mean to tell. It absolutely means to tell. It also has a few other meanings. And this whole story is what we are telling. It also means to connect. It is related to the word good. Okay, Nagad, the N drops off and it becomes GD with a Vav in it. Ooh. These are etymologically or phonetic relations. There's an etymological relationship between them. Because through telling your story, or my story, or anybody's story, it helps us, it enables us to connect more deeply with who we are. Our stories are what animate us, but we have to tell them. And we have to be willing to listen to another's story. And they have to be willing to listen to ours. We are here today listening to my story and your story. Even if the endings somehow are a little different. We have beautiful stories. And that's what helps us connect through story to the sacred.
Okay? It's the text that we have, it has 15 stages to it. Some make it 14, they combine two of them, but they're 15 terms. Maitzi and matzah, some people connect. Some say motzi matzah, some say maitzi matzah. But it's two words. And it's 15 stages, you can see them right there. This is what we use for our Seder, our Passover meal. What we call Seder, do you know what Seder means? Sadar the Sader, to order. Okay? So, again, just like we saw with the Passover, not a very insightful word until we realize it's talking about transformation. And in order to transform and be transformed by the Holy, you have to be open to it. Right? And all the other insights that we brought out of this simple word, Passover. Well, guess what? This word Seder is a description of the events of the night. There is an order. First we do this, and then we do this, and then third we do this, and fourth we do this, all the way down to the 15th stage or step in the Seder. So there is an order. But again, simple words in Judaism are never simple. The word order initially is talking about the stages of the Seder. But what it's doing more broadly and philosophically for each one of us, everyone, in this house, outside this house, in any other sacred house, what Judaism is saying is that order is not just discussing the events of the night, but the events of life. That there is an order to life. Life is not random. Chaos does not reign. There is order in life, and that's the first thing you have to know. Life is not an accident. There is an order and a purpose and a path that we all have, and many paths that we all have, because life is not random. I don't know what your way is or your path, but we all have paths that we need to explore so that we can encounter and uncover who we are in our beings. So it means to order, that's what the Passover meal is. And again, it's the first holiday because this is another foundational, just like humility, Hag HaMatzot, the festival of matzah, that's one name. Here's a stage in, here's what the event is called, the meal is called order, because it wants you to understand that there is order in life. And this, even in our darkness, the order of the event is dis- uh, the order of events is discussing our enslavement and our suffering and our redemption. Very often, when we encounter suffering, we feel life is meaningless. There is no purpose. There is no God. We suffer. This is starting us off with order in the midst of chaos and suffering and sorrow and death and darkness. Even in that. Do I see it? No. Do I see the light in the midst of that darkness? No. But I hopefully each year as I go through it and reflect on it and become open to it and let my wounds heal. Okay? So another meaning of by the way of Passover is to scorn. Because if I'm wounded, I'm going to scorn. I'm not going to be open to transformation. I'm going to scorn the sacred. See the connection. That word Passover is rich. It's rich. It's a, it's a guide to spiritual life and living, whatever your path is, because everybody has to be open to the sacred so that they can transform two meanings, right? Otherwise, you're going to transgress. And we often transgress and ignore the sacred because we were wounded, and then we end up scorning the sacred. That's the theology in a nutshell. If I went too fast, I apologize, but that's Passover in a nutshell. That's the word, Pasach. Those are the etymological cognates, the, okay, of this word. And that is relevant to you and to me and to everybody who's following the sacred. The order of events is teaching us there is order in life, even in the midst of disorder and chaos and darkness. And we have to ingest that. That's why we eat the meal. All these foods that we're not going to eat, all the other ones, we'll eat a couple of them right now. They are there to help you meditate. Don't just eat it. Meditate on it. 
digest it physically and allow it to permeate your mind mentally and your heart. Okay? There is spiritual wisdom in it. So, we start off with, I'll just give you, just so you can say you've, you heard something from a Seder. It starts off, I'll sing a couple of them. We say, uh, there's a f- different melodies. Some are much more, uh, it sounds like you have a good case of cholera or intestinal dysentery or something. Okay, or That's if you're happier than I am. So, there's a lot of melodies. But you start off by saying all of the stages. Why? Because it gives you the ending up front. You know up front that yes, we're going down and down and down. But I know up front where the end lies. Hallelujah! Thank you! I got another Pentecostal Jew here. That is what is foundational. Every tradition, as I said last week, has some brilliant aspect to it. What Judaism does well is it allows you to overcome suffering and sorrow and survive. We've suffered a lot at the hands of many different people. You know what our statement is, our slogan? L'chaim, to life. Why? It's death and torture and suffering. That's because of this type of theology. These rituals have a philosophy behind them that instills life in your soul in spite of the death and the darkness that surrounds you. And that is crucial. That is crucial. We start off with darkness. But we know in the end there is light. And so, let's see, a couple of the foods here. What do we got here? What can I do real quick? Real quick. So we're in Egypt. I'll just say one thing about Egypt. Anybody here was a slave in Egypt? You look old enough. Oh, you weren't Jewish, right. Oh, you're an Egyptian. Oh, you. Here's what's beautiful. The name Egypt. They didn't call them. What do we call America? America. What do South Americans call? They might call it America. Other people might call it with a different accent. But everybody calls us America, correct? Or Brazil, Brasil, if you speak Portuguese. Fine. But it's basically the same with linguist, you know, the language differences. Egyptians did not call themselves the Mitzrim, and they didn't call Egypt Mitzrayim. That's what we call it. Well, guess what? That wasn't its real name. You know why? Because there's a theological insight or a poetic story behind the name Egypt. Egypt comes from, I'm not going to go into too many of the roots, but the basic meaning is to press or squeeze or oppress. So it's the place where we were squeezed and oppressed. Well, that's a real name for a place, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure everybody in the world calls it the place of oppression. No, that's our name for it. But here, here is how we make life out of death, freedom out of enslavement. We find in this word, Mitzrayim, okay, here's one root, here's another root, here's another root, okay? Again, the basic idea behind it is to compress, to squeeze, to oppress, something along those lines. But it also... This root is used as a reference to God, as a rock. In the midst of our enslavement, our oppression, our squeezing, the same basic root, you can see it right here, is saying that this means rock, Which also means God. Somehow God is accessible even in the midst of your oppression. In your Egypt. Not that Egypt back then, but your Egypt now. Your Egypt now is the Egypt I worry about. My Egypt now is the Egypt I worry about. God worked through history back then. Yes or no, wherever you are. But metaphorically, Egypt... I'm going to go through an Egypt with a different pharaoh. It might be someone outside of me who is 
my dictator and, 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 and abusing me. It might be me who abuses myself, more importantly. How am I my own worst pharaoh? That's the Egypt I need to get out from under. That's the pharaoh who needs to be booted out from my heart. And it's in the plural. It's called Egypts. Mitzrayim. Okay, it's a dual plural, but it's still plural. In Hebrew, we have two plurals. Two is a plural or anything more than two. This is, now there's a historic reason for why it's a dual plural, which I don't care about. I care about it, but not for my life. The reason it's plural is because each one of us goes through life from one Egypt to the next, to the next, to the next, one oppressor to the next, whether it's within or without. You have alienation, you have anxiety, you have illness, you have a divorce. Those are many Egypts, and each one of those needs redemption. And even in the midst of that, that, redemp- that, that oppression that you are suffering, the alienation, you can still find in that alienation the same word, the same root, rock, which is God. You can find the holy light in that dark, dark place. God is ultimately all of our freedom, where our freedom lies, in the Holy One. And He is in the midst. The word is so poetic. These words are intimately related, these roots, because we often lose God in the midst of our oppression and our suffering. But the theology behind the word is that, no, God is there. I don't know where and I don't know how and I don't know why it has to be this way. But there is some light in the midst of this. And in fact, it's related to another word for artist. Because somehow God is still behind the scene, artistically guiding everything. There is art somehow. There is artistic beauty. I don't know how because it looks ugly to me. There is still art behind God's beautiful plan, even when it looks like it's just darkness and murder and suffering and hell. We'll do one thing. We didn't get to much of the food, but this is the theology of Passover, and all the foods that we would eat would have a rich, rich symbolism behind them. Let's take our... Here's, here's one. Let's start off with this. Take your wine. We will just, I'll, I won't do the whole blessing, um, and I'm not going to say the, the name of God is in the traditional blessing, we, don't, we only say the blessing if we're actually... Well, I can do it, actually. I'm doing wine. Or grape juice. So we say, Baruch Atah And we drank a little. And when we drink, we lean. You know why? Because you have a kink in your back. <laughs> the other reason is... One reason is because it's telling you how to encounter the sacred. Don't be distant. Right? It's a brilliant insight from a friend of mine. Lean from the rabbi, who's a friend of mine. Lean into the sacred. That's why we lean when we eat. Yeah, but this is suffering. This is, yeah, lean into it. Lean. You want to encounter the sacred? Lean. And now we will take the parsley. Okay, it's called karpas. I'm just giving you a couple of highlights. Again, you go to another Seder, you won't see, you'll, you'll see this, but you won't have anything. What does parsley, first of all, it's called karpas. Anybody know Greek? Huh? What's karpas mean? Fruit. It's a fruit. Is this a fruit? Parsley? Okay, rabbis didn't know botany. <laughs> That's been established. However, when something is that off, there's a great, the, the, the more strange, the better theological insight that is awaiting us. Parsley. They called it karpas. Everything else is written in Hebrew except for this word in one section, which is Aramaic. Why did they, the whole thing that I read to you, it's all Hebrew except for this word. Fruit. It's not a fruit. It's not Hebrew. What do you think? First of all, it's green. Okay? I don't, I, I'm going to stay off the Greek. Apologize. Just because of time, and this is what we're going to end with. This represents spring, life. It's green. Where were we when we were in Egypt? Did we feel life? 
Did we see hope? No. The water that you have, it's very salty. Dip the parsley into the salt water. This is how, whether you're Jewish or secular or any other faith, this is Judaism's offering to life, to humanity. This will guide you through your life. I'm not saying it's easy, but this is the sacred metaphor behind the simple act of dipping this fruit, (laughs) this parsley, into the salt. What do you think the salt represents? Salt water. Tears from the, from the what? From the enslavement and the suffering and the sorrow. What are we doing? This is life. This is spring. This is rebirth. This is renewal. This is hope. But I am soaking it in my tears. But it still comes out green. And I am ingesting it because what I am saying theologically... I'll I'll say a blessing before we do it. But what I am saying theologically and what we have to understand theologically, if we want to overcome our own sorrow and suffering because of our enslavement and our oppression, is we have to realize that those tears that every person has in life, every person at some point is drowning, as it says in the Psalms, their couch or their bed, in tears. Some unfortunately drown themselves. Everybody, if you've lived long enough, knows somebody who has taken their life. They didn't see or have the reference for the fruit. Your spiritual life must bear fruit. This is not a fruit. But it must bear fruit and be able to sustain you and be fruitful for you, enlivening for you, even in the midst of drowning in your tears. And you can. You can, but you will be drowning. You might even be this close to death. Some don't make it. God bless them. I make no judgments on people who take their lives because it's not a happy choice. I wish they didn't. The only person I've ever been angry with that I knew who took his life was the person who took his life after his son died. Son just dropped dead and he hung himself. Why I was angry with him is because he had a daughter. And his daughter walked in and saw him. That killed her. She was never able to recover. We all have moments, friends, where our tears are going to overcome us. You have got to, for the sake of your family, of your friends, and for yourself, to be able to find that parsley, that fruit, that hope, that spring, that renewal in your life. And then you will eventually overcome and dry those tears. Thank you all for coming. We'll say the blessing. We say, Baruch Atah And we eat. We don't lean because we don't want to lean into our suffering. But make sure that the mentality is transformed by the message that there is renewal in the midst of our drowning and our tears. Thanks for coming, folks.